0: Welcome to the One Big Idea Podcast, your guide to making it in Web3. Each week, I sit down with the brightest founders, creators, and thought leaders to unpack the lessons, strategies, and trends you need to know for venturing into the world of crypto. This episode is brought to you by Ruck Radio, the world's largest decentralized media company changing the way creators build, distribute, and own their content. To learn more about this creator's first community, visit Ruck Radio at www.rug.fm right, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Big Idea. We are joined today by the one, the only, Gino the Ghost. A multi-Grammy winner, two times I believe, eight times nominated. Uh, He has worked with artists such as Saweetie and Timberland. He is also the co-founder of Blocktones. This man is everywhere. He's also a shit poster. I, I see him occasionally with his board ape talking shit. So, uh, really, really happy to have you on, Gino. How are you doing Thank today? You.
1: I'm great. I, I and I want to make the record uh, clear here. I'm not just a shit poster. I'm an S tier shit poster. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> I before all this cute little crypto, you know, before crypto Twitter, I was a uh, I was a Twitter savant. I'm a meme founder. I'm a, I'm d- early. You do meme. bring that heat. I do. I do. Um, yeah. So anyway, thanks for having me on. I'm great.
0: Good, man. You? Uh, I'm good. Let's, why don't we start with the, the Grammy? Cause that I think is something that people want to hear about. So you just won another Grammy with Christina Aguilera in Latin. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was best traditional, uh, pop album, um, with Christina Aguilera, which is crazy because just, you know, grew up listening to her. She it's it, the craziest statistic. This is the 4th decade that she's won a Grammy in, which Whoa. is just fucking nuts. Yeah. So, uh, quite the honor. Um and it was just yeah, it was a really cool experience. The sessions were so fun. Um it was awesome. How did that come about? How would you meet her? So, it's interesting. I don't speak Spanish. It turns out. Mm. <laughs> um and so and it's a Spanish album. So, a good friend of mine, Fedé Vinver who is actually the executive producer of Blocktones, the music NFT project that I'm sure we'll we'll talk about? Um, mm-hmm. He's from Argentina. He uh, works in and he works with everybody in the Latin space. Um, and he brought me in to um, about a year or so prior. He had brought me in with another Spanish artist uh, named Lali, who's a huge star in Argentina. Uh, the sessions went great. We did a, we did like three singles for her. Then I got brought in. Um, for Natty Peluso, who was an upcoming artist. Um, me, him, uh, Rafa, who's uh, the SVP at Sony Latin, uh, executive produced the project. And I was fortunate to just do a bunch of sessions where I would do the melodies. So I would do all the melodies and just kind of help with the song concepts. Um, we did three singles and we won a Grammy with her as well. Um, last year and then they brought me back to do the Christina camp um which was just such a blast i i had uh i was working with fede rafa um cat Dahlia, uh juan morelli um and it was just it was so fun and uh yeah we're very fortunate we we got nominated for two we got nominated for album of the year and pop album of the year i think Ro, uh, rosalia won album of the year and then at the upcoming grammy cycle uh in february i'm nominated for two more so fingers crossed, you know?
0: Fingers crossed. What what do those camps look like? Like you have all these like big names in the room. Like what roles is everyone playing? What does a typical day look like?
1: Great question. Most camps suck. Um, And if you ask songwriters or producers, they'll tell you. Uh, It's tough because it's really competitive. They're not that productive a lot of the times. Uh, A lot of times the artists aren't there. I did this camp because... A, I love Fede and Rafa um, and we've had, you know, we've had success before. A, B, Christina was going to be there uh, and was very involved in the process, very into the album. Um, And also Kat Dahlia was there, who I'm a very good friend of. And so I was excited. And it was in Miami and I just love going to Miami. You know, they call me yeah. Mr. They call me Mr. Three Hundred Five, Austin. I thought so, you lived uh, there for
0: the longest time. never. It's
1: because I look. I look like an '80s coke dealer that lives in Miami. That's why <laughs> people think I'm there. But uh, I'm there a lot, and it's because I work. I work in Latin a lot. Um, but yeah, there. It was such a fun experience. Uh, Christina was there the whole time. She was just super. You know, she she told me the, the, the weirdest, most surreal experience of like my writing career was definitely like sitting on the couch with Christina Aguilera, like drinking wine and her telling me like how important this album was and like how just like grateful she was for all the writers and producers there. Artists like don't, not all artists, but you just don't hear that a lot, you know? Um, and she's just so humble and so nice and hilarious. And it was, it was a blast. So.
0: That's amazing. Great. And so are you like riffing and like going back and forth ide- on ideas during the camp, like while everyone's in the room together?
1: So like everyone's in the studio you have a few rooms, right yeah uh, it was a, it was just heavy hitters at the camp. There was three rooms um, but it was a fu- it didn't feel competitive, right like it felt like, oh, what are you guys working on? Oh, what are you working on? So um, yeah each day we'd be in a room. Uh, I was with cat um, every I was like I need to be with cat. Put me with cat and, Fe- and yeah. fed. So we were together working and um, yeah, it was great and then at the end of the day we all got together we played the records. And, uh, it was a blast. And Christina was just bouncing between rooms, you know? So
0: it's great. Cool. Well, we've, we've hit a high watermark, obviously being able to work with Christina Aguilera, getting a Grammy. Let's go back in time to, you grew up in Detroit. How did you find your way to music? My understanding is you grew up in a big Italian family. What, what was your, yeah. How did you find your way to music?
1: So I, I'll give you the, like short version of the story because it can be very long-winded uh basically (laughs) i was a published slam poet i started as a slam poet um i got published very young i was in like eighth grade ninth grade i got published um and then i started battle rapping ironically enough um so i was doing like boom bap hip-hop i was battling in detroit um i was ghostwriting which is how i got the name ghost and because i was white um, so I started ghostwriting and for those who don't know the difference between songwriting and ghostwriting, ghostwriting, you're not credited. Um, you're paid under the table. You don't have publishing. You don't tell people that you wrote it. <laughs> right. So a lot of rappers don't want people knowing for whatever reason that, or they want to keep all their publishing. Um, so I started like doing
0: Drake that. having ghostwriting and that became like a really big deal when that Can't came out. Can't speak
1: on that, but, um, but you know, <laughs> I will actually speak on that. Drake. What's funny is Quentin was credited. Like he was a songwriter. He wasn't yeah. even a ghostwriter really. He he did ghostwrite a little, but like a lot of those songs he was credited on and the demos he was playing, that's how records get shopped. So when all those demos leaked, people were freaking out. They're like, Oh shit, that sounds just like this song. It's like, well, that's how do people think songs get written? Like that's how songs are written. You do a full, well, they written, don't know. They don't yeah. know. Right. So you don't, you don't write The song on like a notepad and then give it to the artist and be like, here's the song and here's the beat. You got to do a full fucking record on the beat. You demo a full like it. Most people would hear a demo and think, oh, is this going on radio? It's like, no, this is. But that's how they sound. You know, Um,
0: yeah. Just to repeat that back to people. So often these songwriters are creating an entire demo and what a demo is, is effectively like, think of it as like the rough draft that you would send to an artist that they would then go record on. And so what people were hearing were these demo tapes that like Quentin had been sending out to shop records because then an artist will be like, yep, I want that. I'm going to take that and I'll, and I'll uh, create on top of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, um, so I started ghostwriting. And um, I was acting as well. So I had – Michigan had a big film incentive at the time, like a big tax break. So we were getting a bunch of work, and I was booking like crazy. So I was booking a lot of voiceover. So I did a lot of voiceover with Marvel and DC Comics. Um, I did a lot of um, like cinema stuff. I did some commercial stuff. I I was at college at the time. I went to Western Michigan um and i was starting to get a lot of buzz in like the blogs so before spotify hey kids hey gen z before spotify <laughs> uh, we had a thing called blogs and yeah you know music blogs ran the industry so two dope boys the source ill roots you know or like mixtape sites like dat piff uh things like that i was starting to really chart on those and do well um i graduated college I was in a film, a big film with Universal called End of the Storm. And I was the lead in a Linkin Park video as an actor. So all that happened. I graduated college at that exact moment. And I was like, time to go to L.A. Now's the time. So I went to L.A. I had a bunch of shit lined up. I had like Abrams Agency was like, we're going to sign you across the board as soon as you get to L.A. We're going to sign you for commercial, theatrical. We're going to give you a voice of all this shit. So I'm like, oh, L.A. is going to be easy. So I get to L.A., ghosted. They completely fucking stop answering my emails, Um, which was not a great feeling, but a good wake up call. Um, And then I was just kind of lost, right? For like three years, I was just kind of like trying to do everything at once and like figure it out. And I had no money. I was broke. I was like driving Uber and doing food delivery and just all these like weird LA side gigs. Um, And it was really tough because it was like, I refused to move back. Um, and the number one rule, you know, my the ethos they tell you when you get to LA is just survive. The number one rule is survive, which is ironically the rule of crypto, right? It's like just survive, <laughs> survive, right? And so I kind of just like for yeah, 3-4 years was was lost and then I met my manager who was at the time interning for Max Goose who was a huge OG in the game. He A&R'd and managed Beyonce, uh, just a bunch of legends. Um, and he had this new artist named Sweetie. So Adam was like, look, I can't get you in the room as an artist yet. It's very difficult, but I can get you in as a songwriter. Have you ever written for anybody? And I had done obviously ghostwriting, but I'm like, I'd never song written before. Like, is there a difference? You know, he's like, no, nah, just go in there and just write raps with her. So that's what happened. I met Sweetie. Um, we did five songs in four days. A week later, she was signed to Warner. Gone. She fucking blew up. Uh, and it was my first big break as, as a songwriter, right? So, um, it was What songs cool came experience. out of that session? So that was the first album, right? So it was uh, Too Many, B-A-N. Um, she had done Icy Girl before I got there. Um, and, um, yeah, that whole first album, but then after, as soon as we finished that album, which we did pretty quickly, it was like on the, onto the second album. And that's where she really popped off. That was my type back to the streets. Um, and it was great. It was just, it was wild because, you know, we had two number ones on radio. We were five times platinum. Um, and that was really my first, when the first album came out, I got my opportunity as a writer. So it got me into a lot of rooms because they were like, Oh, this, and I had, you know, I grew up on pop and and rock rap, obviously, but I also listened to a lot of pop and rock music. And so I was really excited to do the pop sessions. So I very quickly was like, okay, like this is dope and this is, but I want to like, I got signed to BMG, my publisher. And I was like, yo, put me in with like the pop producers. Like I'm trying to do pop records. Um, and that's where, you know, I did chain smokers and, um, just a bunch of other random, uh, pop acts that, and then I got into K-pop and then I got into Latin through Fede and everything just kind of, here we are.
0: Yeah. And so it became for you, the, the key lesson early was just surviving, right? Like you had to stay in the game long enough to give yourself the opportunity to be in the room to be able to go perform, like it was, with it was surviving, then,
1: yeah. but it was also conviction and like choosing. Mm. And I think, especially in a place like L.A. or in any big market, it's very easy to get distracted. And everybody has a door that they can lead you through, right? Everybody's got an opportunity. Oh, you can make some quick money over here if you do. Oh, you're good at this kind of. Well, if you do this, I'm launching a this, and you can come do this, and I'll bring you in. And and it, everybody's like, oh, it's so easy. I just and I know a guy, and and it's very easy to get distracted, and that's how you end up fucking wandering, just aimlessly. And I guess what my aha moment was, I picked a th- I picked something. I'm, I'm an incredible actor, and I'm very humble. I'm an incredible <laughs> actor, right? But I had, I felt like I was swimming upstream when I was acting and when I was songwriting, it was just easy breezy. So I'm like, okay, the universe clearly wants me to head in this direction right now. So let me put all my input in this field. Right. My friend Tendo used to say, it's like tech, you got input, you got output. The more input you put into something, the more output you're going to get naturally. This is how shit works. So for me, it was like, Session, session, writing, 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 and it happens so qu- it would start to compile, and it happens so quick, and that's how you become a force in one industry. And then from there, you can do whatever the fuck you want, right? But you know, if I let up here, even you do lose some of that output. So as the Web three start stuff started happening, and I was giving more of my attention to Web three, the the music stuff started to drop off a little bit. I was getting less. Records are coming out, you know? So you really, you have to just, you have to choose and um, your choices definitely like impact the output, right? So.
0: Yeah, how did you go about finding your lane? It sounded like part of it was recognizing where you had an unfair advantage or where you were set up to win. Is that accurate?
1: N- nailed it. It's like trading. It's why I'm great at trading now because... I took those same principles. It's all the same game. Everything is the same game, right? You you, you never – why would you ever go to the away team and play in un, unfair conditions for yourself, right? Like it's – you want to – you don't have control. You have control of things, but life is out of your control. So find the arbitrage in life and in what you're doing Find where you have the best odds and attack,
0: how do you balance that with learning new skills because when you when you're early to something, it can be like you're playing on the away field until you can get to a level like you you probably weren't always a great trader right when you first started out and no. like you have to take some licks in order yeah. in order to get there and you have to be in the arena long enough to get yourself to a place where you do have. The unfair advantage so how do you think about balancing okay this is where i'm at today and what i'm good at today and i'm gonna like go heads down with this but i also recognize the opportunity over here and want to make sure i give that a fair shot over time
1: the number one thing that i learned i'm very blessed to have worked with a lot of huge talent like oh legends goats um I think the, one of the most impactful moments in my life, I had a session with Timbaland. It was my first ever session with Timbaland, uh, who, again, idol, grew up like, holy, you know, Timbaland, the best producer of all time. I get to the studio. I'm super fucking anxious. And we start working. And at first, I'm like, kind of trying to figure out how to navigate in the room. And like, you know, do I kind of let him lead it? Do I da da, da 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 He played a beat. It was crazy. I'm like, all right, cool, load it up. And once I got past the like initial like jitters of you know working with the goat, I just got right into my mode and do what I always do. So I sat down at the computer, I started chopping shit up. I got on the mic, I started doing melodies, then melody passes, I jumped back on the computer, I'm I'm chopping shit up, I jump back in the mic, I'm da da da. da And I, I go to Tim, I go, What do you think? Like, do you wanna, you know, hop on? Or he's like, You got it. I did like I, I brought you in because I want you to do what you do. I got it. You, you, you I don't want to impact your process. You do what you do, and I was like, "What?" I was like, "This is crazy." What the fuck? So I we finished it, and it was, it was the record was crazy, right? And um, we kind of were just talking after the session, and I just kind of like he didn't say it verbatim, but what I took away from it was like. You get to the top by being excellent at what you do and working very hard. You stay at the top by removing your ego and understanding that you always can learn something new. And you always can use different people's perspective to to, to add to what you have, to add to your toolbox. And, you know, Timbaland has been on top for decades but he had never worked with me. He just I think just wanted me to see what I did and how I run a session and wanted to use me for my skill set to to collaborate. Right. And and music at its core is collaborative. And anybody that thinks they can do it all by themselves forever, you, you're just not going to stay on. T- it's impossible. Everything changes so fast. And, you know, I work with Scott Storch a lot. Same thing. Scott would tell me, like, when I first started producing, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to do the drums. I wanted to da da I wouldn't. I wouldn't, co- I wouldn't collaborate with other producers. Like, I had to do the whole thing. I would sit in a room with Beyonce, me and her, and we would just work. He's like, and as I got older, I just realized, like, why? I'm the best at playing keys and creating melodies. Why would I not work with other producers who can are great with drums or are great with this or you know and so for me as a writer <clears throat> you know I know my I know my skill set as a producer I know my skill set I know what I'm exceptional at and I know where and who I should bring in to elevate the record and make better you know and so depending on whatever category I'm working in like if I'm working in K-pop I you know I have my skill set but I didn't grow up listening to K-pop. I don't I'm not I'm not Korean. I'm not fully entrenched in that culture. So to think that I could do it by myself would be naive and stupid. Same with the Latin if I'm working in Latin like I'm so grateful to be able to work within a culture that's not mine and give my perspective on like oh it could be cool to hear these kind of melodies over this you know but I would be dumb to not bring in artists and writers and producers who grew up with that and are exceptional at that right and so that same principle can be applied to everything with block tones with my project like i know what i'm great at but am i going to sit here and try to like code and run the discord and do no i would be fucking way over my head so i think like that's the biggest takeaway that i've got from as i've gotten older
0: yeah. I, I recently heard a content creator talk about how as a, as a creator, you're an octopus. An octopus has like eight legs and three hearts. And the idea is that over time, you're able to give up those arms, if you will, to your team and to the people that you collaborate with so that you recognize what are the things that you can learn from other people. But the hearts are the things that you always keep close. So it's understanding what you should always like lean on, like what are your superpowers that you're going to be able to provide the most value and balance that with bringing other perspectives to the table. I also think about it when, whenever I enter a new space like crypto, for example, and like NFTs, we've had a pretty wild couple of years, you lean on what you know and where you know that you can provide value and you seek out others that can teach you things. And so, you know, for me, I had a product background. Like I understand how to take things from 0 to 1. I understand how to build communities. Those are skills that I can help with. You know, it it I don't know how to code. Like I don't know how to do all these other things. And so you figure out, you know, what that like superhero avenger style team can be to like anything that you do. You try to bring that bring that to the table um i would love to talk about block i feel like it was a good segue yeah. so you had been you'd been in the space for a minute before you decided to launch your own project why did you decide to launch block tones what is it and where is it today
1: so yeah i mean much to what we were just talking about like i did when i first got into nfts i knew nothing so i took a long time to just kind of like get a lay of the land i bought a bunch of nfts Traded, sold, lost a bunch of money, made some money, mainly lost money uh, when I started. And um, I kind of came in in the beginning of the craze, of PFP craze. Apes were around. My partner on Blocktones, a guy named Mike Morrow, had told me to get into Apes at like 0.3 ETH. And <laughs> I, sl- I slept. Yeah, I slept. Uh, so when I really dove in... Was I think I have the text somewhere, but he texted me like, "Hey, remember that thing I told you to buy for 0.3 It's like they're ten ETH now." So I was like, "Fuck what?" So when I when I first got into crypto or when I first got into Web three and NFTs, it was like an investment vehicle. I was like, "Oh, sick! Like this is a dope way to invest." And I very quickly understood the digital art angle. Um, and obviously, I know speculate like speculative trading, but I really was fascinated with like digital art and collectibles. I'm a huge nerd. I mean, I have a giant cartoon sleeve of like Pokemon and a bunch of shit that I have literally like, you know. Um, so that was the first thing that enticed me. So I got in and I'm really noticing, I'm like, oh, it's all PFP, 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 PFP. And there was a couple music projects out that were cool, uh, but they were all AI mainly. And I, I kind of like, First started to see – my first thought was, okay, as a producer and a writer and an artist, I should see which projects need music. So I found a project called Fluff World, which is a really dope multimedia project. And there's a musical component to the NFT. So I hit the team and I'm like, yo, do you guys need like more music in the future? Like I see you have music in these NFTs. Are you going to have future music drops or – music integration. Um, And they were, you know, I was very fortunate that the first project I picked happened to just be like full of fucking geniuses. And they, they were like not a rug pull, but the opposite. They were like crazy innovators and builders. Um, And so they brought me in to like kind of consult and, and and do music stuff with them, which was incredible. I learned so much just by like working with those guys and met a lot of great people. And obviously the fluff community is incredible. So that was great too. I got like, I made so many friends um, and I, you know, me and Mike kind of started talking like, damn, we should do a project. But like, I don't want to just do another PFP project. We both work in music. So Mike Morrow is the number one guy in stage design, tour visuals, stage production. Um, He's done recently like Meg Thee Stallion, Lil Uzi, Gunna, Future, uh Diplo Coachella to SNL to I mean he's do he does it all he's like the guy that people go to and so he works in live music and I obviously work in like the creation of music and we were like let's do a music project but let's do like high-end top like I my thing is if I'm going to do a music project it needs to sound like something that I can take into the studio with me and make a song over and pitch because at the time I was really beginning to onboard a lot of my peers into the space. You know, the music industry is fucked. It's which I'm sure we can get into, but it's, 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 as you know, a disaster from every angle really, but especially as a producer and a writer and a creative, it's just like something's got to change. And obviously the industry that's so ripe for disruption, would it not make sense that web three is the perfect, the perfect place for that? So we kind of started to think of like, okay, what can we do to disrupt not only the industry from a creator standpoint, but also disrupt it from a fan standpoint and a consumer standpoint? Uh, because the music industry was very dull and very boring. and uh, still is. So we created a project called Blocktones, which is a multimedia NFT project. So it's generative audio. Um, I brought in Fede Vinver. The person who I spoke with about the, the Latin, he's just a goat. He's done the last three Kanye albums. He just executive produced a Coldplay album, which is up for a Grammy. He's a seven-time Grammy winner, eight-time Grammy. No, he won. He won four. So now he, whatever. He's a 10-time plus Grammy winner. Uh, yeah, he's won a lot of Grammys. He's, a, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's the guy. He's him. Uh, yeah. So brought him in to do the music. Um, which I'll explain that process in a minute. And then Mike is like visual, 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 branding, branding, branding. So the visual component, we also took very serious. We wanted to kind of bring back the uh, that nostalgic CD compact disc feel, but with kind of a new age future tech feel to it. So we did these uh, generative animated 3D CDs as well. So the art is generative, the music is generative at the same damn time. Uh, which was, as we were planning it, we're like, "How the fuck are we gonna do this?" Because again, I don't know shit about coding <laughs> or or what that would look like. So um, I got pretty close with the Doodles team, um, and you know, I knew Evan and Jordan uh, just through you know meeting through NFT things, and I had Thanksgiving dinner with Evan, oddly enough. And so I was in Miami working with Scott Storch and Kodak Black at a session with Kodak Black and Scott Storch and. Jordan texts me and I'm like, oh, yo, pull up to Circle House. I'm in Miami and I want to talk to you about this project I'm doing. So Jordan pulls up to the studio and I'm just talking to him about block tones and like the vision for it and what we're trying to do. And he's like, oh, well, we're working on this thing called Space Doodles, which is also like a video, you know, animated generative project. And we got a guy named Varun who I think would be great and I'll introduce you. So he introduced me to Varun and it was kind of off to the races from there. Um, And so it took a while. It took like, man, it was a process Um, because the music is very difficult. Like to create 2,500 generative beats that all sound unique and great um, is harder than I thought. What was was that
0: process? Yeah. How did you go about building?
1: So Fede and me, uh, the beginning of it was like, okay, how many chord progressions do we want to have? What are the audio stems? Like what are the categories of the audio stems? And then how many different traits per category? And then like, what are the rules? Because that's another thing. Like music theory is like, you know, you, you can't just have the same key in the same tempo and just have it all thrown together and sound good. Like, certain chord progressions need to go with certain bass lines. Uh, certain leads can't clash. Vocal chops can't clash. You know, it's it's it was a lot of trial and error. And Fede spent a long fucking time, like, just months and months getting the, getting it just right. And then I spent a long time, like going over everything being like, let's take this out. Let's take this out. Let's take this out. We need a, we need a a different progression. Let's try this. Um, I really wanted, again, I wanted to let Fede cook. Like I didn't want to be too hands-on-y, uh, because I brought him in for a reason. I mean, he's the best and he's just far superior to me in, in terms of like music composition and shit. So I, I, I'm not gonna, I wasn't gonna overstep, um, And, you know, being a founder, it was a lot of that just in different things, like not just the music, but like I, it's hard to like explain what it's like to be a Web3 founder to even I would imagine like big CEOs because it's not like anything else. You have to manage like a community of like, you know, it's just a lot. And so it it was a learning process. Um, But the music was definitely um, probably the hardest part. That's not true. The, the the visual was the hardest part, but and launching the so, market.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive into yeah. each of those. On the music itself, you got some pretty big producers, like we talked about Timberland, to come on board and create one of ones. How did you pitch the this idea to to these guys?
1: Yeah, so we got uh, Timberland, Illmind, and Trap Money Benny to give us one of ones. Um, the pitch is pretty easy. It was, you know, it was like, look guys, we're doing a web three project that we believe is going to impact the industry forever. Um, we think that having you guys involved would be sick. I mean, I'm fortunate to be like friends with all these guys. Illmind has an incredible web three project he's doing. Um, Timbaland is the co-founder of a project called beat club, which is, uh, it's like a web two, web three project. Um, and I, you know, I do a lot of work with them as well. So he really wanted to incorporate B club in, in the branding of the one of ones. And, um, and then trap money. Benny is just like, that's my dog, you know? And, and we do a lot of really cool stuff together and he was just excited. Cause he's like, yeah, I'm into doing cool shit, you know? And I think for, you know, producers at the end of the day, especially someone like Illmind or Timbaland, who have been doing this for, again, decades. It's, you want to always feel like a kid in a candy store. And I've talked to Illmind about this ad nauseum. It's just, Web3 feels like your first time making music again. We all get super jaded. You know, I've been in the industry for a while, but not as long as as him. And you want to just do things that keep you feeling creative and like at the playground. You know what I mean? And so... I think just like being able to be a part of a new project um, and just do something that, you know, like these guys make so many beats that, you know, they have, it's just like, sure. You know, here Yeah, um, they,
0: they got, they got some on reserve for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: And building during the bear must've been a massive just, challenge. What were some of the learnings, things that you didn't expect?
1: Just fucking brutal. Um, (laughs) any founder that tells you that like, you know, the bear market wasn't that bad to drop a project is just either lying or was washing them. You know, they're just doing some shady shit. We, um, I think what helped us was we were building a legitimate product, right? And so I think for all the things that made music NFTs tough during PFP mania, made them more enticing during this bear market because a music doesn't have a bear market music is here forever and and it's everywhere and it's always and so that was a b i think people for the first time could look at the space objectively and you know when the speculation isn't up only and things start bottoming out And everything around you, you know, PFP photos that are, A, the art's not good. B, there's not actually a community there. C, the founders aren't actually doing anything. And people are realizing, like, oh, this is actually kind of fucking worthless, right? And then we come around and we're like, hey, we're building a project that's like a full-length radio-ready beat executive produced by an 11-time Grammy winner. And you own all the music, and you can do whatever you want with it, and this would typically cost you ten to fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, and you can get it for a hundred bucks right now, people start to go, like, "Oh, okay, well that well, that makes sense, <laughs> right?" And so, like I can explain that to my uncle, who knows nothing about web three. I can explain that to the normies of, you know it's hard to explain why I bought an ape photo for six figures, you know, and so. I think that helped us while building. We also, um, we incorporated a crazy fucking story. Again, because I have a film background and a story background. I was a creative writing major in college. Um, I was really excited about the lore and building a dope story that the community could get behind and keep them excited about the project as, we're, as we were rolling it out. Um, and also just create cool content around that. So we spent a lot of time on the lore. Uh, and really integrated that into our rollout um, which which
0: was very was- unique. And something, if you were to look at generative music projects at the time did not exist. In fact, I would say most of the generative music projects that I had seen up until block tones had failed pretty pretty stupendously. And my narrative that I like the conclusion I had made is like, well, people just aren't interested in it. And that that wasn't the case. You were able to build a fervor and community through through lore. Uh, and it, it's it's really special to see. People should check out the Blocktone site because there is a lot of effort. It, it's clear that was put into building an entire world around around these block tones. And then I would love to know more about an, another misstep that I see a lot of other projects make, particularly in the generative music side. Is the rights you gave the rights to the community was this was this a contention point at all or did you did you know no, pretty upfront that you wanted to do this?
1: This was like day one. This is non-negotiable. Um, it's the ethos of our project, which is basically like you can be somebody that knows nothing about music with no access prior to the music industry, and with our project, you have the ability to not only buy incredibly valuable IP. That sounds incredible. Um but you also can use that however you want. Whether it's a podcast intro or the background music while you're gaming. Which I did, by the which way. Which you did, my, by the way. My podcast intro <laughs> and it fucking slaps. Um <laughs> but also you can create a song over it. You can put that out. You can shop it. You can license it. You can you can sell it. You you know, I mean we something we did early on to really showcase um how you can utilize your, your music IP. We had everybody um, sign with their wallets, a non-exclusive license on our website, Uh, sign a non-exclusive license to allow us to stream their block tone on reveal day on YouTube. So we did like a YouTube reveal stream where we live streamed everybody's block tones as they were revealing. You had to, you had to sign the rights to us. We, we, you know, we didn't want to like a lot of projects would be like we retain the right to use these because, you know, for commercials or exploiting or whatever. Um we didn't want that. I wanted it to feel like you were literally a producer and you have to grant us a non exclusive license to use it. So we had hundreds and hundreds of people submit. We only could select a hundred, um, and then we didn't tell anybody we were gonna do this, but we airdropped everybody royalties from streaming in USDC. And it was kind of like, Hey, this is just proof of concept, but this is what it looks like to license your track, get paid royalties for your work. Um, and a bit of a preview and a shape of things to come of what we're, we're looking to roll out. So. Yeah.
0: And, and I think that should sit with people because often the argument for not releasing a commercial license is, well, most people aren't going to use it. Like Most people aren't producers. Most people don't need the stems. What are they going to do if they have a commercial license? And you showed, demonstrated through that example, that you do not need to be music savvy, producer savvy in order to benefit from having control of your your asset.
1: Most people say that because they don't plan on doing anything or activating their community's IP. It's like... Good luck. Here you go. Right. Um, And something that we're really excited to do is if you don't know how to make music, you don't know anybody, you don't want to actively shop your stuff to get it licensed, we also act as an incubator. We'll have several opportunities for our holders um, to license their music, use their music, create IP on top of their music, um, something that we're looking to do for Basel coming up. We're going to host a camp. Um, which will be full of industry-leading writers and producers, will be selecting block tones from the community and creating records over their beats. And if your beat is selected, guess what? You're a producer. You get points on the master. You get your publishing. You're a producer, just like I would be a producer if I worked on a Christina Aguilera album or so forth and so forth. And you can literally just be sitting at home in your underwear watching Rick and Morty. While the best musicians in the world are making original content over your music and shopping it to other huge artists, or getting it synced in commercials or whatever the fuck else can happen, so um, we're just really excited. And people are just not hit. they're just people aren't hip to what music NFTs can be yet, and I understand because there hasn't been that big board eight moment yet. It's hard to showcase music like you can showcase a PFP, uh, but we're excited to to really showcase what this shit looks like in the IRL. You know what I'm saying? In the real world.
0: So what are what are your thoughts on the current state of music NFTs in comparison as well to what is the current state of the music industry overall?
1: I think the current state... How can I start? Let me start with the current state of the music industry. Um, it's fucked. <laughs> it's... From every angle, there's 22 million songs released a year, right? And of those songs, you know, it's hard for fans to really get invested in any of it because there's so much happening at once. It's not their fault, but there's so much sensory overload from whether it's TikTok. Or Spotify playlists that have 200 songs that are algorithmically generated to tell you what to listen to. Um, you don't have that intimate experience with artists or with music like you used to, where you had to buy a CD at the store and you had, you know. And I sound like a fucking boomer when I say that, but all the things that made DSPs great are also resulting in the downfall of impactful, meaningful, you know, of of the experience, right? Like you're you're seeing labels make more money than they've ever made, but they don't even know what they're chasing. They, they don't know how to approach the industry because you know they'll sign they'll sign TikTok a TikTok song that's going viral, right? And they're essentially just throwing money at a moving train. And that TikTok artist hasn't even had time to actually create a fan base yet because it happens so fast that people only really know 15 seconds of the song. They don't even know who the artist is of the song. They've just seen the viral trend that's made the song pop algorithmically. And so then the label signs the artist and they're surprised when nobody knows who the fuck they are or cares. Nobody comes to the concert Nobody knows the words to any of the other songs. And then when they try to put out another song, it doesn't move because it's hard to translate. And so then they say, "Okay, well, now get back on TikTok and go viral again. And if you can't go viral again, then we can't put any money behind you. So they're just – no one knows what the fuck is going on. So artists and producers and writers are now trying to just make music to go viral on TikTok. It all sounds like shit. And because of that, it's just like outside of like obviously the anomalies and like the, the the really popping artists who don't need to do this, the actual like baseline of the industry is just everyone's lost, and it's it's very shallow, and you can feel that. And so, what music NFTs offer, and they haven't quite cracked it yet because people aren't haven't caught on yet. They offer that reinvention of what it means to actually like own music and be a part of music and like have memories attributed to music and like intimacy with music. And I know that sounds weird, but web three allows you to be intimate with music again, right? You can light a fucking yeah. candle and throw on, you know, throw on some shit. It's, it's the, it's the LimeWire moment. It's going to be the Napster moment. Where once something happens, I don't know what it'll be yet, but there'll be whether it's a Web3 artist that explodes or a block tone that finds its way in Lil Baby's hands, which has happened. Lil Baby bought a block tone. But let's say Lil Baby does a song over a block tone and it fucking blows up and it it does 100 million streams on Spotify and and it's popping off. And then people go, oh, wait, that beat came from there and it's worth how much? And this community's rallying behind it, and they've got this brand, and they've, and once people get that, you'll start to see generative audio and AI audio collections like us, like Warps, like you know Illmind's project, like Chill Pill, like all these projects that have our, our music collective, you know, um, pop off, and then also artists, right? So you'll see like some of these upcoming Web3 artists who have built these micro communities that are empowering them and literally funding their careers. And they're making more money with 400 fans than people with 2 million monthly listeners on Spotify. And it's intimate. Like they're like friends with these people and they're, you know, like that shit's crazy. And then don't even get me started on virtual artists. And when you look at like what Hume is building um, with angel baby and, and, all these different channels if you will um, are all leading towards the same goal which is gamifying music making music exciting again for holders but also eventually for artists and for you know it's it's a fun experience to like create a world you know ask spotty ask Sammy Ariega ask Violet ask Annika Rose like ask you know it's you get to you can make whatever the fuck you want. You you don't have to do a traditional boring rollout and jump on TikTok and fucking you know. Um,
0: Gino is dancing for people that are listening to that. That was not audio. me
1: dancing. I don't want. I was uh, I was like moving my shoulders. I wasn't dancing.
0: <laughs> He's a better dancer than than I'm what a he just showed. Than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, do you think it's still possible? Particularly as an independent artist to make a career in the in the tr- what is now traditional streaming landscape with so much noise and minimal payouts on, if you're looking at a per stream basis, can you still make a career in in web two?
1: Yes, um, of course you can, but you know it depends on what you're. Your, what your goals are. So not everyone has the same goals. You know, some people just want to, you know, you can, you can build a nice little fan base and um, make a living if you own your masters. Right. But I think, you know, can it, you describe
0: in- that for people who may not know uh, the concept of owning your masters?
1: Okay. So here, let me walk you through a scenario. Okay. Austin drops a record on TikTok. It pops off, right? It goes viral. Um, Austin owns the mechanical royalty. He owns the master recording of his song, right? And so he makes considerably more money on streaming than if he did, right? Now, what'll happen is a record label will approach Austin and they'll say, hey, Austin, congrats on all your success. Now, your moment is dwindling and your window of really popping, it's shrinking. So allow us, Big Record Label, to sign you to a record deal. We'll give you a bunch of money to essentially buy your masters and a large percentage of your mechanical royalty uh, to come join us. And we will be the machine that will take you to Valhalla. Now, When Austin does that and signs away his master royalties, he obviously makes far less money on streaming. And the label is taking the bulk of that money. But in return, they're putting money into marketing. They're paying for the videos. They're paying for photo shoots. But that's all coming out of Austin's budget. So Austin doesn't actually get any profit until he recoups all that. Now, because they own Austin's Masters, if Austin goes, OK, cool, now I want to put out my next song. I'm ready to release it. They go, eh, 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 eh. not so fast. You can't put that out until we say so because we own it. And so that's the yin and yang, the give and take of signing to a record deal. If all goes well, they will be the fuel to that fire to fucking take you to the next level. Because it is very hard. If you don't have money, it is very difficult to run a business. You're, you're essentially a business as an artist. And as the way this shit works, especially today, algorithm, algorithm, algorithm. And if you don't have a lot of times money to throw into that algorithm. you. Because once the algorithm deems you dead and people decide that you are falling off, that's it. And so – it's increasingly difficult because you aren't making those intimate connect- connections in Web2 music anymore. You know, back in the day, you could put a song out and it would carry you for a year. You put a song out. The song goes viral. You package it with an album. People don't even really give a fuck if that, al- you know, all you need is like a couple, three good songs. They'll, they'll rock that album for a whole year. <laughs> and then you can put out another album two years later and people are ready to hear it. You can go on tour off one album. Now, what's next? What's next? What's next? And if you don't have the money or whatever to, to keep it going, uh, a label might be your only chance. And so, um, if you don't sign to a label, it's obviously much more difficult, but if you can do it, how logic did it, how, you know, a lot of these other artists did it, where Russ did it, how they maintained ownership of their master and they did deals with distributors or whatever, um, you can do it, right? It's just, it's tough to be an artist path. in 2022, yeah.
0: Yeah, so if you were an artist, you are an artist in 2022. Where are you focusing your energy?
1: Um, I mean, look, I, I come from a place of privilege, obviously, because I, you know, I, I am a songwriter and a producer. And so personally, because I don't have the burning fire right now in me, to do that stuff as an artist, I mean, what it takes, it's so much. And because I'm trying to run a web three company and, you know, I'm trying to become a mogul, a music industry mogul in a, in a different sense than I think I initially planned when I started this. My goal in the beginning was like, I want to be fucking a superstar artist. And I want to tour the world. And as I've gotten older and like, I've seen more of the industry and I'm like kind of learning again, my strengths and what I like doing, I don't want to go fuck. I don't want to fucking tour. It sounds terrible. And I, you know, I have more fun disrupting this archaic model that has just fucked so many people for so long. And that's what I'm passionate about. And like, that's what excites me the most is being able to sit at the table with like the executives, not like, Hey, what kind of music do you guys want? You know, where you're just a peg in the wheel. I get to actually help shape what the future of music could look like with these people. It's like, hey, what are, what's it look, you know, and, and that's more exciting to me. I think what I'd say for others, my biggest advice is, okay, you've identified that you love music, right? You know you like music and you want to work in music. Don't box yourself into only being an artist or only being this or only, like go where the water takes you, you know, do, do what you're great at, Find your competitive advantage, like we talked about, um, you know, and, and then attack that. And whether that's Web3, whether that's social media, whether that's a podcast, whether that's a record label, whether that's being an a a producer, a writer, whatever it may be, um, just get in, just get your foot in the door. I think that would be what I'd say. Just get in there, you know, and like. For a lot of people, it is releasing music, but for a lot of people, they're blocking their own blessings because they're stubborn and they think they have to do one thing. I have to be an artist. I have to do this. You don't. You can do something else and then you can get in and then you can do whatever the fuck you want, right? And so yeah. just get in there. It's this
0: fine, fine balance of like, don't be too precious. Know, like, Know what your conviction is and where you want to go, but at the same time, do not shut yourself off. To opportunities to make sure that to what we were talking about earlier, that you can survive, that you can continue to, to make sure that you are in the room for the opportunity when it does, when it does
1: exist. I mean, it's, um, it's, we it's are, as, yeah, before you, oh, I'll end go with go this. It's as simple yeah. as this. You have a desk. This is a corny analogy metaphor, but it's perfect. You have a destination on your GPS yeah. and you're driving and everything's, and then there's a fucking rock fall from a mountain. There's just <laughs> rocks in the road. Are you going to like get out of the car and like move all the fucking rocks and like or are you just going to find a different route? <laughs> it's that easy, right? As long as you know where you want to go and you have conviction in that, then don't be stupid, you know? I don't know.
0: No, it's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, make sure that you that you're looking at the road so you know which way which way to go. Yeah. Gino. Before I let you go, we're coming at the top of the hour. I ask every guest for their one big idea, the one thing that you want to leave the audience with. Uh, you want them to to take with them on their adventures as they're exploring the world of Web three.
1: By block tones. <laughs> That's my big I- no. Okay. Um, my big idea, (laughs) but no, it is by Blocktones, and let me tell you why. My big idea is reimagine what music IP and ownership of music can look like, and what you can do with it. And a project like Blocktones, it doesn't need to specifically be my project, but you know, take the music, the NFT music NFT space. Seriously, if, if you're not invested in it, why? Is it because you can't quick flip it? Like you can't other things? Like think about if music is the lar- one of the largest industries, I think the second largest industry behind gaming. And you don't think that if you believe in the future of Web3 and, and digital ownership, you don't think music might play a part in that, right? So my big idea is... Take music NFT seriously, because if you don't, you're going to be playing catch up like you did with Bitcoin, like you did with Ethereum, like you did with every other NFT project that you fucking chased and FOMOed into. It's that simple. I don't know. That's my big idea. It's,
0: it's that simple. It is the soundtrack to our lives. Well, Gino, thank you as always. Appreciate you, brother. And thank you to everyone for listening. We will
1: catch you next time. Thanks, Austin.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's edition of One Big Idea. As a thank you, head to onebigidea.xyz to claim your free OG status NFT. I'll be closing off minting after this initial run of episodes, so be sure to grab yours before they are gone. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.